Hi, I'm Lindsay Cradwell, Digital Production Assistant at TheWeek.com, and today I'd like to talk about the grand collegiate tradition of commencement speeches. Each year, graduates sit in hot, itchy gowns, often in the blazing summer sun. They're waiting for that coveted degree, which symbolizes the end of one life and the beginning of another. But before these wide-eyed graduates and their keen naivete are let loose on the cold, hard realities of the real world, they must listen to the older, more seasoned folks pass down some wisdom. Commencement addresses are a bit of an art form. It doesn't matter who's giving them, whether it's current or former presidents, celebrities, or someone you've never heard of. The best ones are funny, personal, and transcendent, but they also follow a surprisingly similar pattern. After combing through an absurd amount of speeches, I present to you the anatomy of the commencement speech. Part 1. The welcoming and the giving of the gratitude. Uh, thank you so much. That, uh, thank you, President Cowan, uh, Mrs. President Cowan. Uh, distinguished guests, undistinguished guests, you know who you are. Honored faculty and uh, creepy Spanish teacher. We've already thanked the parents today, but please don't forget to thank them again when you move back in with them. Part two, the lowering of the expectations. When I think back to the people that have been in this position before me, from Benjamin Franklin to Queen Nora of Jordan, I can't help but wonder what has happened to this place. You join an impressive tradition, and our commencement is part of that tradition. Year after year, GW sends its graduates into the world on the wings of advice from esteemed leaders and thinkers. And this year, you got me. Part three, the Just for Students joke. By the way, Dr. Kim, you were brought to Dartmouth to lead. And as a world-class anthropologist, you were also hired to figure out why each of these graduating students ran around a bonfire 111 times. Excuse me if I seem a little bit low energy tonight, today, whatever this is. I slept with my head to the north last night. Oh, oh man, you know how that is, right kids? Part four, the revealing of the grueling writing process. Yeah, I was very anxious about having to figure out something to say <laughs> to this particular class at this particular time. Let me think, what has everyone and their uncle told me as I desperately seek out advice on how to give a commencement address? Tell them what they want to hear. Talk about your time at Bennington. Know that there is no wrong speech. Part five, the real world truth bomb. Whenever you see me somewhere succeeding in one area of my life, that almost certainly means I am failing in another area of my life. If I am killing it on a scandal script for work, I am probably missing bath and story time at home. It, sorry, it sucks after graduation. <laughs> it really does. Part six, the personal parable. Today, I want to tell you three stories from my life. That's it. No big deal. Just three stories. So freshman fall, I decided to take neurobiology and advanced modern Hebrew literature because I was serious and intellectual. 
But as I was fighting my way through Aleph Bet Yehoshua in Hebrew and the different mechanisms of neural response, I saw friends around me writing papers on sailing and professors teaching classes on fairy tales and the matrix. I realized that seriousness for seriousness' sake was its own kind of trophy, and a dubious one, a pose I sought to counter some half-imagined argument about who I was. Part 7, The Unique Nugget of Wisdom. If you're automatically sure that you know what reality is and who and what is really important, if you want to operate on your default setting, then you, like me, probably won't consider possibilities that aren't annoying and miserable. But if you've really learned how to think, how to pay attention, then you will know you have other options. It will actually be within your power to experience a crowded, hot, slow, consumer hell type situation as not only meaningful, but sacred, on fire with the same force that lit the stars. Love, fellowship, the mystical oneness of all things deep down. Because thankfully, dreams can change. If we'd all stuck with our first dream, the world would be overrun with cowboys and princesses. <laughs> so whatever your dream is right now, if you don't achieve it, you haven't failed, and you're not some loser. But just as importantly, and this is the part I may not get right and you may not listen to, if you do get your dream, you are not a winner. And finally, part eight, the send-off. So in closing, I thought it'd be nice to let some of my Simpsons characters address you and give you their advice. <laughs> Hello. Life is like the Star Wars movies. Some of it is great, some of it sucks, but you have no choice but to sit through all of it. <laughs> Very similar to the commencement speech you are listening to right now. So to conclude my conclusion that I previously concluded in the common cement speech, I guess what I'm trying to say is life is like one big Mardi Gras, but instead of showing your boobs, show people your brain. And if they like what they see, you'll have more beads than you know what to do with. And you'll be drunk most of the time. For more on this story, plus a list of the commencement speakers you heard and the links to their full speeches, go to theweek.com audio. You can subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, let us know by leaving a review on iTunes. I'm Lindsay Cradlewell, and thanks so much for listening. <laughs>